So everyone, welcome to the afternoon session of our of our workshop. And um, we were hoping to hear from uh, from Professor Franz Crenet from the Collège de France, but he has fallen ill. And um, Sasha Stern has very kindly agreed to step into the empty to the empty spot. I don't think this is a a, a, a worn out phrase, but I think in this case, really, um, I don't need to introduce Sasha to anyone. He, the leader of our project on calendars in antiquity and middle ages, and I think I can say without hesitancy the world's foremost expert on the Jewish calendar. And um, we are looking forward to hearing what you have to say about El Jeruni on the Jewish calendar. And how long shall we go on? Good. Well, um Thank you. Can I just uh, begin by explaining that this is a paper which was literally put together in the last few days um, after uh, uh, Professor Grenet uh, cancelled. So um, uh, I hope it, it uh, I hope it's coherent and, and turns out all right. Um, there is a handout, and you'll notice at the top of the handout that the title has changed a little bit from how it's been scheduled. Uh, Albi Rooney on the Jewish calendar sources and reliability. Um, the, the, the text which I, which I want to look at today um, uh, is about the Jewish calendar and Al-Biruni does not state his sources and what I would like to try and do is to explore what possibly might have been the sources that he used. Uh, this is an important question because um, we still need to gain some sort of understanding of how um, Al-Biruni operated, um, how as a scholar he gathered his information, and how he turned it into uh, the book which we now know uh, in English as the chronology of the ancient nations. Uh, the other issue which uh, emerges is reliability. Uh, given the uniqueness of the chronology, uh, with information that is often not available elsewhere, um, the historical reliability of the book is uh, an important issue for those who want to make use of the book for historical purposes. So uh, I'm exploring the sources of uh, Al-Biruni. I'm also questioning to what extent what he writes is uh, reliable. So um, let's then begin with the... Um, text uh, at hand. So it's on your, on your handout, it's passage number one. Um, I've supplied you with uh, the translation of uh, François. Uh, and then uh, on the second page of the handout, you've got uh, images of the relevant passages in the Bayazid um, manuscript and the Edinburgh uh, manuscript. So that's uh, for reference. I won't be referring to it myself, but if you want to check out uh, the uh, Arabic text, uh, this is where it is. So let me just begin explaining what this passage is about. Um, in the Jewish calendar, the year can have 12 or 13 months. Because um, the months of the Jewish calendar are lunar, and therefore shorter than the months uh, in uh, the Julian calendar, the intercalation of the 13th month is necessary uh, to keep up with the seasons. And by the period of Al-Biruni, <coughs> in the Jewish calendar, uh, these intercalations, so the insertion of the 13th month, occurred in a cycle of seven months in 19 years. Now, Biruni's argument in this passage is that there are different customs among the Jews, but all the Jews agree on which years should be intercalated. The only difference between them is how these years are counted or how they are numbered. And I've um, illustrated this with the table at the bottom of the first page. Let's have a look right away at this table. So um, in this table, you've got three different representations of the 19-year cycle. And the shaded, the shaded um, columns are the intercalated years. So you can see that whichever scheme is chosen, everyone agrees on which years should be intercalated, but they will be numbered differently. So if you take, for example, the second intercalation, starting from the left, according to the first scheme, that will be called year five of the cycle, 
according to the second scheme you have four of the cycle, according to the third scheme you have three of the cycle, uh, but it is uh, the same year, it's the same year, everybody agrees, that is the year which has to be intercalated. <coughs> right, okay, so let, let's now um, see what Biruni says. Although they agreed on where the Ibu, the intercalated years, fall in the course of the Mahzor, of the 19-year cycle, Ibu and Mahzor are words which he says in Hebrew, which he doesn't translate into Arabic. <coughs> so although they agreed on this, and on whether or not any given year should include an inter intercalary month, they differed regarding where the cycle begins. And this produced a disagreement regarding the ordering of the intercalation within the cycle. <coughs> I'm going to skip the next sentence because it's a little bit involved. Um, but he concludes the first paragraph by saying that the order of the intercalation is fixed according to the formula, <coughs> uh, the formula of the letters etc. And that is um, the second, the fifth, the 7th, 10th, 13th, 16th, and 18th years of the cycle. Others take the years of the same era, subtract one year, and fix the order of the intercalation <coughs> in the remaining years of the incomplete cycle according to the formula, de, were, etc., which is 1st, 4th, 6th. So basically what's happened is that um, they take the years, subtract one year from the number, and what was year two in the first scheme now becomes year one in the second scheme, and so on. <coughs> These two cycles are associated with the people of Syria. Others again subtract two years from the sum of years, and compute the order of what remains according to the formula so this is a new, a new uh, arrangement then, 3, 2, 9, 2, 3. Uh, what, what he's doing here is not giving you the number of the year within the cycle that is to be intercalated, but rather he is telling you the intervals between intercalated years. So the first interval is three years, the second interval is two, and 9 stands for 3 times 3. So 3 intervals of 3 years, and then an interval of 2, and then an interval of 3. Um, if you look at the table at the bottom, so, uh, it's really it's a scheme on the third line, but instead of expressing it in terms of the number of the year to be interpolated, it's expressed in terms of the intervals. So the intervals are on the two bottom rows of the table, and it's three years, two years, three, 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 or otherwise expressed as nine, two, and then three. So I'm going back now to the text of Biruni. Others again subtract two years from the sum of years and compute the order of what remains according to the formula Jabat Baj, three, two, nine, two, three. That is the third, then the two after it, meaning the fifth, then 3 times 3, meaning the 8th, 11th, and 14th. Then 2, meaning the 16th. And then 3, meaning the 19th. This mode of arrangement is the most widely spread among them and most widely preferred. And sometimes they have associated it with the people of Babylonia. But all three go back to one and the same principle, on which there is not any difference of opinion meaning that everyone agrees on which years have to be intercalated. Okay, so this then is, um, uh, this then is what Biruni tells us on the Jewish 19-year cycle. The, 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 strange thing, um, the strange thing about all this, which I don't really have an answer to, but it's, it's just something which needs to be mentioned, is that the sequence 3, 2, 9, 2, 3, sequence of intervals, or 3, 2, 3, 3, 3, 2, 3, actually applies to all three schemes. So why is it that it's only used for the third scheme and not for the first two, where instead the years are numbered? 
uh, is something which um, is a little bit puzzling. Maybe there's an explanation for it. Okay, so this then is what he says. And now we have to um, consider the question of his sources. Where did he get all this information from? In the century leading up to Biruni, we have three Hebrew texts which discuss the interpolation. And all three texts closely agree to what Biruni is saying. So the question we, we were asked is whether these three texts might have served as his source. So going to page three of the handout, um, we begin with uh, the first of my three texts, which is a letter that was written by the heads of the Babylonian, uh, probably by the heads of the Babylonian Rabbinic uh, Academy to the heads of the Palestinian Rabbinic Academy in the year 922. This letter, um, similarly to Biruni, claims that Jews in Babylonia and Palestine agree on which years should be intercalated. And, and this is historically <coughs> credible, given the context of the letter. Because in 922, um, and the reason for this whole correspondence, is that the Babylonians were in the middle of a major disagreement with the Palestinians about the calendar, and were about to celebrate the Jewish festivals in 922 on different dates. Now, had the dispute also involved a difference about uh, intercalation, or had the two, uh, the two uh, communities uh, intercalated different years, uh, they would surely have made this part of their polemic and dispute. So the fact that they claim that there is no disagreement on that, I think, can be taken as historically reliable. So this is what they say. There is no longer disagreement between you and us regarding the intercalation of years with Adar and another, the second Adar. Because everyone holds to their tradition for the calculation of 32923. And then he gives the two sequences, 146912 and 25710, etc. And regarding the intercalation and calculation, everyone is by now in agreement, and there is no difference between you and us regarding the intercalation. So there is obviously an emphasis here on the fact that they agree, and that is the point he's trying to make. <coughs> the three schemes of Biruni um, appear in this text, but they're presented differently. And in fact, in this text, there are really only two schemes, uh, which are two different ways of counting 32923, either starting from 1 and going 1, 4, 6, 9, or starting from 2, um, and going to 257. Uh, so it's the same sequences of numbers that you find in the Biruni text, but here it's presented as really an alternative between two different options. Uh, the letter does not clarify which of these two schemes, 146, etc., or 257, um, which of these two schemes was used in Babylonia. Uh, or Palestine, or, or both, or whatever. There is no specification of what these two different traditions represent or where they come from. The next uh, and second Hebrew source um, is a calendar treatise attributed to a Joshua ben Alan and dated to uh, the early 7th century, which is therefore contemporary or more or less contemporary with the letter that we saw uh, in the previous passage. The dating of this text to the early 10th century is conjectural. It was originally proposed by Harkavi in 1903, uh, but I think it's probable <coughs> for several reasons. First of all, although Joshua ben Alan is totally unknown to us, his treatise is quoted in full in, this, in the codex where it appears, by someone who calls himself Ben Mashiach. And um, we don't know many people called Ben Mashiach, but um, one Karaite of this name, Hassan Ben Mashiach, is known to be uh, a figure of the early uh, 10th century. 
Second of all, the terminology that it found in these treaties is unusual and uh, would appear to be rather early. For example, he uses the word katana for an arc minute, which I've never seen in any uh, Hebrew astronomical source uh, of a later date. So the fact that a, a very unusual terminology is used suggests to me that this is perhaps an early uh, text. And um, thirdly, the treatise explains in very great detail uh, calendar concepts which would have been considered completely obvious in later medieval literature. Uh, uh, it is also unaware of later calendrical concepts such as Etkufasravaza. So for all these reasons put together, I think the early 10th century dating is plausible. Uh, obviously, you only have a very short extract of the treatise here in front of you. Um, the, the treatise as a whole begins in Judeo-Arabic, but a quarter of the way through, it switches to Hebrew for no reason, and literally in the middle of a sentence, uh, which is a little bit strange. Um, and what we have here then um, is from the latter part of the, the treatise, uh, which is in Hebrew. My assumption is that the original language of the treatise was entirely in Hebrew, and that the Karite was quoting it began to translate it into Judeo-Arabic, uh, and then when he got the quarter way through, he gave up and reverted to the Hebrew original. <coughs> so this is what Joshua ben Adan says. The early sages followed the intercalation of 32923. And the middle ones followed 1469121517. And the sages of this generation followed 2571031618. I'm a little bit uh, unsure here because the sages of this generation should make it present tense and followed is in past tense. Is he talking in the present or in the past? Uh, how does one translate uh, these verbs? Uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not entirely sure. Um, Maybe somebody can shed some light on this. So um, basically, um, you have here the same, exactly the same three schemes as you find in Biruni's passage. Uh, and this time, there are three separate schemes. But um, they are attributed to um, different historical periods rather than to different customs or different regions. Uh, Biruni was talking about Syria and Babylonia, and here um, they are arranged in a chronological order. The explanation that he goes on to give is exactly the si same as Al-Biruni's, which is that the difference between the schemes is not a reflection of a disagreement about which years to interpolate, but simply comes from subtracting years from the era that is being used. Um, and the way he understands it, it's the era of creation. And he, unlike Biruni, explains why these years are subtracted. So this is what he goes on to say. For the early ones, they used to subtract two years from the years of creation, which is what Biruni more or less tells us. Uh, and what are these two years that are subtracted? They say that one of these years was the year of the creation of the world, which doesn't count, and the other was the year of the flood, which also doesn't count. The reason behind that is a rabbinic tradition that during the year of the flood, the flood lasted a whole year, and during that year um, all the heavenly bodies uh, ceased to function. So on that basis you um, deduct or you subtract that year, it doesn't count from a uh, account of uh, a sort of count of years which might have some chronological or astrono astronomical significance. So that then is the first scheme. The middle ones subtracted one year, only one year, as Al-Biruni tells us. But he explains, they said that this was a year of the flood. And the sages of this generation did not subtract anything. And they followed 2, 5, 7, 10, 13, which is exactly the same as what you'll find on the table at the bottom of page of the handout. But, says uh, Joshua ben Alain, all of them come to the same thing. Right, and finally then, um, the third Hebrew text, which is uh, on the last page of the handout, 
Now, this text takes us to the end of the 10th century, uh, therefore very near <coughs> Alviruni's time. This is a responsum attributed to Haya Gaon, uh, who was later, who later became the leader of the Babylonian Rabbinic Academy in Baghdad, uh, although uh, in this period when the letter was written, he was not yet Gaon and not yet head of the academy. The original language of the responsum may have been Aramaic rather than Hebrew, but not necessarily so. The responsum is dated uh, to 994 to 995. This date is based on a paradigm uh, year which he gives us at another point in the letter, not in the passage in front of us. Uh, and um, the letter is quoted um, in a secondary, as a secondary source, in a secondary source, um, the calendar book of Abraham Barthaya, uh, and in the version that is quoted over there, the paradigm year is 9912, <coughs> so there is a slight disagreement here, but at all events we are in the last decade of the 10th century. And this is what uh, he says. For each of the computists adopted a system with which to count, and set at its epoch that which he saw was more accurate than any other. Some took the years as they should be, and did not subtract or add to them. So they simply took the years of the world or of the era of creation. And they followed the custom of intercalating according to 2, 5, 7, 10, 13, 16, 18. And others said, since this cycle is for the intercalation of the year, let us bring it closer and subtract from the epoch two years and start from an intercalated year. And they followed one, four, six, eight, etc. So um, what, what he's arguing is something quite different from um, Joshua Ben Alain. Uh, the subtraction of years um, is not anything to do with uh, shall I say, mythological, historical explanations like the year of the flood and that sort of thing, but is given actually a more scientific explanation. Uh, and that is that um, the reason why some subtracted um, uh, two years from the epoch was to um, enable the cycle to start on year one. It's, it makes more sense to start something on year one. So um, the sequence should start with one and then go on to four and so on. Yeah, he says subtract two years, really, it's only subtracting one year. Uh, a bit of a footnote there at the bottom. Uh, this is a problem in the text which uh, doesn't really have a solution. But uh, um, what, what is actually going on is that one year has been subtracted in order to enable the cycle to begin on year one. And some of them said, since we need to demonstrate what must be learnt, i.e. how we align the lunar year to the solar year by adding the remainders, it is better to set a different reference point which will make the matter understood. And they followed 32923. Uh, this is a little bit uh, more obscure, and actually he goes on to explain what he means in great detail, and I haven't given you um, the whole passage. But uh, he claims that those who follow 32923, as we've seen before, that means subtracting two years from the earth of creation, do so in order to demonstrate the scientific basis of the intercalation, which is to align the lunar year with the solar year. Um, and if you start running a calendar with lunar and solar year abreast, and you start running it, so the lunar year, which is shorter, will gradually fall behind. And after two and a half years, it will then become necessary to add an extra month to the lunar year. So because you have to wait two and a half years until this happens, it makes much more sense to say that the first uh, intercalation occurs after an interval of three years. And that's why you start with three, and three, two, nine, two, three. Uh, and for that reason, you would need to subtract two years from uh, the era. Further uh, in the responsum, and that's the little bit of text at the bottom of the page, 
the author introduces a fourth scheme, which is significantly separate from the standard group of three that we have seen so far. This fourth scheme was um, evidently used for some time by the community from where the question emanated. Remember that the context of this text is a response. So somebody's asked him a question, and he's responding to it. And the questioner um, seems to have been the one who was using the, the, the fourth scheme. Um, and Hayagaon makes it clear that this is not the system which he uses. Some of the computists have adopted the sign for interpolation of 3, 6, 8, 11, 14, 17, and 19, which, by the way, is a, is a scheme which is now uh, most commonly used in the Jewish calendar. But some of the computists have adopted this scheme, and this has been done um, as a system for disciples because not everyone knows why the second year from the creation of the world is counted as intercalated according to our reckoning of 2, 5, 7, 10, etc. So um, Hayagawan makes it clear that our reckoning, so his reckoning as head of the uh, academy or a central figure in the academy of Babylonia, uh, his reckoning is 2, 5, 7, 10, and uh, the, the reckoning of uh, 3, 6, 8 is somebody else's, uh, and it was just done for disciples, to, because disciples couldn't understand why the first intercalation should be in year two, like it looks like random, so, so uh, they adjusted it and made it start in year three. But uh, he, he makes it clear that uh, this is not uh, the system which he uses. And this system is not anywhere to be found in Al-Biruni's uh, account. Um, in later sources, uh, the calendar book of Bataya uh, of the 12th century, this fourth scheme is actually identified as Palestinian. Uh, but there is no indication of this in the response of Bataya. Okay, so going back now to Al-Biruni, <coughs> um, it seems evident that um, Al-Biruni is drawing on a Jewish tradition, which runs through uh, the whole of the 10th century, and which appears in all these different sources that we've looked at. And this tradition is to present the 19-year cycle in the form of three different schemes, where everyone agrees on which year should be intercalated, but they disagree about how the years are counted. In this respect, Al-Biruni is closest, in fact, to the latest source, Haya Gaovna, the one we just saw now, which is historically very close in time to him, where the schemes are presented in the same order. So if you look at Haya Gaon, you'll see that he first mentions 257, then 146, and then 32923, exactly as uh, Al-Biruni does. First 257, then 146, and then 32923. Whereas the early 10th century Hebrew sources present the schemes in a different order. But unlike Hayagaon, Biruni seems to be completely unaware of the fourth scheme, which is later to be identified as Palestinian. And it's important to note that all the Hebrew sources, the three Hebrew sources that we have, and I have to emphasize, these are the only sources we have in the 10th century uh, about <coughs> the 19-year cycle. So all these Hebrew sources which we've seen are all Babylonian. Um, the letter of the Babylonian Palestinian is Babylonian. Joshua ben Alan uh, is known, uh, he is not known, but... Um, uh, I suppose he is not really known, so we wouldn't know for sure, but um, uh, the, the, the person who cites him, uh, Mashiach, is known to be Babylonian, so presumably the cultural context of this is Babylonian. And Hayagod, of course, was in Baghdad, it's also Babylonian. So they are all Babylonian sources. Um, and. Um, um, Yes, and, and um, if 
if Biruni only mentions the schemes, um, I'm trying to put it a bit differently, um, the Hebrew sources we have are all Babylonian, and they have this tradition of three different schemes, uh, and this is what you find in Biruni. So uh, there is perhaps a connection here, and this perhaps raises the possibility that Biruni is using for his information about the Jewish calendar, he is using specifically Babylonian uh, Jewish sources, or one could say Eastern, uh, from, yes, uh, in relation to the geography of the, of the New East, but he's looking at um, Eastern Jewish sources, which of course is not surprising given uh, Biruni's own uh, geographical location. Uh, and that would perhaps explain why he seems to have no access to Palestinian traditions and doesn't mention the fourth Palestinian scheme. What is surprising, however, um, is that Biruni claims that his first two schemes are associated with the people of Syria. So, um, he says at the end of the second paragraph, these two cycles, the first two, are associated with the people um, of Syria. Uh, the word Syria in Arabic is, of course, Asham, which would include uh, normally uh, Palestine, the whole of the Levant. Whereas um, the third scheme, he says, uh, is sometimes associated with the people of Babylonia. Um, whereas, in fact, all three would appear to be Babylonian. And furthermore, um, the first of the schemes, 25710, is explicitly identified by Haya as the main Babylonian reckoning, our reckoning. So if anything, it's the wrong way around. Uh, he should have said that the first and second schemes are Babylonian, and perhaps the third one Syrian, or perhaps all three Babylonian. So I I'm just wondering if this is perhaps uh, no more than a, a simple error on the part of Biruni and the first morn a very small error, actually, in the grand scheme of things, um, a, a small error which uh, perhaps shouldn't, uh, um, shouldn't disturb us too much. Like his predecessors, Biruni emphasizes that there is no disagreement about which year should be intercalated. It's only a disagreement about how to count them. And in this respect, his concluding statement is particularly reminiscent of Joshua Babylon. So if you look at Biruni, um, and I've actually put it in bold in the English translation just to bring it out, but he concludes the discourse by saying, but all three go back to one and the same principle. And then he gives a diagram which I haven't reproduced in the shape of a circle, although I've given you the equivalent in the form of a table. But there is a sort of concluding sort of line, all three go back to the same principle. And then you compare this to Joshua ben Alan, passage number three on the handout, who also concludes that Alan was being in turn about that all of them come to the same thing. Uh, and the similarity here suggests perhaps, uh, I must say perhaps, that Al-Biruni is not only using a Jewish <coughs> tradition regarding the 19-year cycle of the three alternative schemes, but he is drawing, in fact, on a certain body of literature. The parallels are too faint to establish a direct literary dependence between Biruni and Joshua ben Alan or any other of our Hebrew sources, but perhaps uh, we can suggest that uh, a certain literary tradition, a uh, Hebrew literary tradition, lies behind uh, Al-Biruni's uh, work, at least in this particular passage. Considering that all the sources that we have seen are in Hebrew, we must then ask how Biruni could have gained access to them. There are a few texts in Arabic describing the Jewish calendar, but they all date to the 9th century, to the early half of the 9th century, the first half of the 9th century, and they do not present the three schemes that are found in 10th century sources. In this present passage, I'm thinking of Al-Khwarizmi and, and other related sources. So um, in this present passage, uh, Biruni is clearly not drawing on these earlier Arabic sources. We have no evidence that our Hebrew sources were ever translated uh, into Arabic. It's certainly most unlikely in the case of the letter 
of 922 of the Babylonian Spirit, take this passage from the tomb and that uh, there is absolutely no reason to imagine that anyone would have wanted to translate the letter into Arabic. Uh, and the same thing applies to the response of Mahayaga On. I mentioned before that it might have been originally written in Aramaic, which was uh, the official language used by the uh, Bab uh, rabbinic academies in Baghdad, um, and then later translated into Hebrew, but uh, there would have been no uh, need uh, for, for this to be translated in uh, Judeo-Arabic. And this kind of literature, I think, is uh, almost not at all attested in that language. Uh, the first quarter of Joshua ben Alan, passage number three, uh, is translated in our manuscript into Judeo-Arabic, uh, but this doesn't cover the reference passage, and as I say, I don't think uh, before the original language of the text. And uh, again, um, uh, I have no reason to assume that an Arabic translation of the treaty would have been available to uh, Al-Biruni. So, um, did Al-Biruni know Hebrew? Um, probably not. Did he have translators or interpreters uh, to help him access the Hebrew sources? These are questions which I think uh, deserve further reflection. just an oral tradition, but um, what I was, um, what, I, what I found interesting were the, the literary, the literary connections. They are very faint, admittedly, but uh, for example, the order in which they appear in Hayer's response, and then in his text, which were written very closely in time, also this concluding phrase, all come to the same thing, which is shared in both works. It's, I, I admit that it's a little bit faint, and it is remotely possible that all this is uh, purely uh, oral, but um, there is a lot of literacy um, associated with the Jewish calendar in this period. We know that in 922, besides these letters which were written and which have survived, but the letters themselves refer to written calendars which were disseminated across the Jewish world. So um, there is quite a lot of written material around uh, in this period, um, which I think points us perhaps in that direction. But I know that the, there's no firm evidence. Yeah, because very often people talk that at least literally composition in Hebrew doesn't start from the 11th century. That in the 10th century it's either response letters or uh, sort of written notes of oral teaching, so there's no literally written tradition as in such, well, which is often argued. There's certainly a literary tradition. There is, there is certainly a, a literary tradition among the Jews. I'm not talking now about language, but certainly books are being written, treatises are being written in, um, in Aramaic, in Judeo-Arabic, uh, and um, the treaties of Joshua ben Alan, which is early 10th century, which we think is early 10th century, and I think not with not without reason. Whether it's composed as a treatise or as a sort of notes. It, it's presented as a treatise. It's not. It's not a letter. It's not to do so and so. I'll explain to you what's going on. Uh, it's uh, it's presented very much in a, in a sort of impersonal, uh, impersonal sort of uh, form of the treatise, and it. Uh, presents itself as a comprehensive explanation of why the Jewish calendar is constructed the way it is. Yeah. Uh, maybe two short questions. One would be if you could tell us the exact source of this uh, legend of the plot that the heavenly luminaries didn't move that would be interesting for me. And the second question would be whether you think that maybe Persian Jews could have had uh, could have played the mediating role, considering Bibuni's geographical uh, position. Uh, do we know anything about Persian well, Jews? Um, there were Jews everywhere. Yes, the East, yes. Yeah. I mean, there were Jewish communities everywhere. So I don't think it's 
I don't think we need to try and explain how. I mean, there were Jews. I'm sure that where Bibouni was located, there must have been Jews. Uh, so I, I don't think it's a, it's a problem to explain how traditions could have circulated. The only thing I was remarking was that it looks like he's only reproducing the Babylonian Jewish traditions and seems not to know the Palestinian ones. Um, so that would just put the whole thing in the, the general region of the, the East. But beyond that, I don't think any more precision is really um, necessary. Yeah, and uh, yeah, the flood, uh, yeah, that's the rabbinic tradition. I don't know how ancient it is. It probably goes back to the 5th century, maybe even earlier than that. Uh, and it's based on an exegesis of a verse in the book of Genesis, where after the flood, God promises Noah that sun, that day and night and seasons will no longer be disrupted. Uh, and that's interpreted as meaning, that's interpreted in the rabbinic midrash as meaning that uh, the luminaries and the planets and everything sort of came to a standstill. Yeah. So first of all, thank you for a very exciting talk that really gets to the backstory behind how uh, how Al-Biruni did what he did. And you mentioned the three texts, and you found parallels to, so you had Al-Biruni's text, and you have Jewish text, two, numbers two, three, and four. You found connections to three and four, but not the two, uh, direct literary connections. I would, I would uh, say that, that uh, I was intrigued by the word ukavar and kavar, which you give a strong translation to. You've translated uh, no longer or by now, which uh, you know, is, 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 uh, is sort of a loaded translation. But the fact that Viruni doesn't pick up on that, that there was a time when they were not in accord with each other, and it's only by now that they came into accord probably would help us say that he probably didn't have direct access, at least to source number one, which where you didn't find any direct uh, linguistic parallels. And uh, he doesn't mention the idea that, that there was a time when, the, when these were out of sync, and then that they uh, eventually came into sync. Well, uh, that's a very interesting question. Um, the, the, earliest, the earliest description we have of the Jewish rabbinic calendar, as it is known today, uh, appears in the early 9th century in the treatise of Al-Qarizmi in Arabic, um, yes, a Muslim author, uh, which Francois has worked on. And um, actually, the, he talks there about the 19-year cycle, but if you analyze his text carefully, you would realize that actually uh, he interpolates different years. Um, now, I, I don't really want to go into this now. There's a whole question of what al is actually doing. Is he describing what, what he knows the Jews practice, or is this a theoretical description of how the Jewish calendar should operate? But um, it strikes me that if um, Biruni had used al treaties, this chapter here would have looked very different, because he would have mentioned different opinions about which years should be interpolated. He might even have cited al um, or maybe even quoted some of, of what he says. Uh, it seems fairly clear to me that he actually doesn't know that work at all. And I don't really know why, but I suppose these things can happen. So, um, um, Al-Khorizmi uses the 358 system, if I remember correctly. Yes, al uses the same <laughs> sequence of Three two nine two three, but um, but when he tells you which year he starts counting from, then you see that it doesn't actually agree to any. I thought it was. We'll have to look at this. <laughs> we'll have to look at the thing. Yeah. Just, just a very simple. Not even a question. It's just to confirm. This 19-year cycle has to do with the Saris, what we now call the Saris cycles. The sun. The, the relative position of the sun and moon is repeated every 19 years. It's the sun years. and the moon, yes. So they repeat uh, all the positions every 19 years. So that's why they, they choose this 19-year cycle. Yeah. What we call the Saris cycle or the sun. Um, 
It's the cycle of the Earth. Yes. Yeah. I mean. So it has an astronomical. Uh, in a rough way of explaining it. Yes. Yes. The scientific definition, which has a conjunction of sun and moon. Exactly. Recur in the same position in relation to all the same longitudes after after 90 days. So and if it was not corrected, it would be an error of almost two years. If I'm not mistaken. If. If the extra months were not inserted after 19 years, it would be... Well, it's seven, it's seven months after 19 years. In 19 years, it's <coughs> seven months. Seven extra months, so it would be more than half a year, yeah. Half a year. Well, that's how the Muslim calendar operates. So the, uh, the, uh, the seasons would be completely reversed. Yeah, that, that's how the Muslim calendar yes. operates. There is uh, in the Fetrex for Al-Nadim, there is a list of the books by Saadia, yes, um, with the presumption that they are in Arabic and that they were accessible. Otherwise, and one of them is the Kitab al Ibu. Yeah? And I know there's discussion about whether Saadia really wrote a book under that topic, but if such a book existed, even as a suit epigraph, it could be that we would use that. Yes. Uh, that's, a, that's a good point. Yeah. He, he, he most probably actually wrote more than one book on the calendar in um, But these works haven't survived, and um, it's, it, it remains very puzzling to me why they haven't survived. Because um, um, they are, on the one hand, it's paradoxical, on the one hand, they're very well known, and on the other hand, nobody seems to have kept a copy of them. So uh, it's not very clear why, why this is. But uh, if he did write these works, he would have written them in Arabic, which is correct. Um, at least we have in the Cairo of Nisa four pages of the beginning of one treatise on the calendar, which is uh, a polemic against the Cairo. And that should have contained quite a bit of information about the Jewish calendar, and that's something which. But then again, it's, it's um, again, I don't know how this works exactly, but it would have been written in Arabic, but in Hebrew characters. So this, this would have had to have been sort of transcribed into What's Arabic characters for Biruni to be able to... Yes, I mean, the, as I said, the Fetrist only lists book in, books in Arabic. Right? The Fetrist, but in the deep, yeah, okay. The titles there are all books that exist in Arabic. He didn't yeah, know yeah. any other languages, and the implication is that they are books that you could find somewhere yes. in Baghdad if you looked long enough, so okay. uh, would imply that it, it, it was transcribed into Arabic characters. Maybe enough about this, but maybe, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. He doesn't list Hebrew books or Greek books that haven't been translated. Yeah. Of course, we don't, know, you know, what, this we don't know what's in that book of Sadia, but he could, it's very likely to have mentioned in three different things. I mean, this uh, sentence that you translated, all of them go back to the same thing, yes? That's, uh, I think I see now, I translated this a little bit literally. It says actually exactly, uh, I mean, not literally enough in my translation, because if you, if you look at the text, it's actually exactly, exactly word for word for word the yeah. same, yes? Yeah? You can see it in the last line, in the middle all of them go back to thing one. It's pretty much exactly the same word. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this is pure speculation. Um, but in the, I don't know if this is true at all, but in the preface to Ramsey Wright's uh, English translation of Biruni's book on the astrology, um, he says that Biruni had a Jewish wife from Haibar, um, and there's no source for it. I wonder if that's at all true, and if so, is that a factor here at all? Does he really say that? I don't remember. Yeah, I'm looking at it right here. But he has no source for it or citation. So I don't know how much to trust it at all, but because I've also seen people say he was never married. Yeah, yeah. And being married to a Jewish wife is not really, not necessarily 
The evidence of gravestones suggests that there was a, um, a substantial Jewish community in Tokharistan, which is not too far away from where uh, Biruni lived. In this period? A little later, the 12th century, I think. Where is that located? It's the extreme um, northwest of Afghanistan. So just south of, of Khorasan. Equivalent of the, oh, it's still in Afghanistan. So South Afghan, Afghan, Northern that also be true if it came through a uh, Khazar direction? That that would be through? Um, yeah, I mean, there, there are, um, if, if you look at textbooks of Jewish history, they'll tell you what were the regions of influence of the Babylonian, Rabbinic, and Khazars. Um, and you shouldn't believe everything you read. Uh, and I can't remember myself exactly what the regions are. Uh, I think Palestine supposedly um, are in charge of Egypt, uh, whereas uh, Babylonia are in charge of, well, certainly out of Asia. And Persia and the northern regions up uh, to the Caspian Sea and uh, possibly even Armenia and Syria. Uh, but uh, <coughs> we don't really, we can't really confirm that. No other questions? Yeah, I have one other question. Yeah? Um, Biruni is using here and throughout the, his description of the Jewish calendar, he's using the era of Adam. Yes? Yes. He never uses the era of the creation, which begins one year earlier. Whereas you have in your text number three, you have the, you know, the creation. But if you subtract two from creation, you get subtracting one from Adam, right? He's saying and it wasn't day six, which is the first day of the, of the new year, and creation is five days earlier. He means the era of Adam. He means the era of Adam, even though he says creation. Yes, creation, this is just terminology, and it's not at all consistent. Um, yes, I mean, I didn't bother to explain what the Adam era is. Um, but basically, the Adam era is the, the era which was used not very much in this period, but a little bit. Uh, I mean, the, the main era that was used in, in Babylonia in the East, in the Jewish East, was uh, the Seleucid era. That was the era that was used uh, in everyday life. Um, but occasionally, they, they also use an era from the creation of the world. It's, this is what's being referred to here of the era of Adam. Now, um, Which is the era beginning on the Molad after creation. Yes? That's great. <laughs> the year that begins at the Molad, following the One creation. One of the three. Following the creation. Yes. Whereas the creation era begins the Five days. Five days earlier. Five days earlier, which counts for a whole year. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I mean, it's all of it. Whenever it's deemed to begin, but 
uh, yeah, okay, so there was a, a, an area which, uh, and this is what's used here uh, for working out the, the sequence of interpretations. Um, when when Hayagaon, in the last passage, talks about a fourth scheme, um, he doesn't call it what I call it, a fourth scheme, but the scheme which he dissociates himself from, and which in later sources is um, identified as Palestinian. Now, this scheme would assume that you start counting the area of creation one year earlier. Yes. And as I said before, this is how years are counted today by the Jews. So this year, which is 19, uh, not 19, 2016, uh, is counted 5,776 from the creation. So that is a Palestinian system. The Babylonians would have counted it 5,775. Sorry? One less. One less. And that is the area of Adam, which is assumed in all the texts <coughs> which we've been looking at, including, I think, by the rule himself. Yes, definitely. Yeah, also by the rule himself. And uh, this, this was a Babylonian. This was a Babylonian. And also Chorism. Yes. Also, um, it's attested already in the Babylonian Talmud. It's, it's an old Babylonian tradition which runs through the whole of Babylonian Jewish history. And which much later in history, when the Babylonian Jewish community had declined in relation to the Western ones, uh, then that count of years uh, was abandoned in favor of the Palestinian one. That's what seems to have happened. How widespread is the, uh, the system used by you now? How widespread is that throughout worldwide? Too? Is it the same now? The way you, you just explained Palestinian Babylonian contrast, differing by year, but the present system that you are using now, is that used by Jews throughout the world now? Yes, and we live in a global village where everyone does the same thing. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, but it's been like that for a very long time. For a thousand years. It's been like that for a very long time, and I think since... Uh, I would say since the end of the Middle Ages, uh, things have become fairly standardized. Well, the communications uh, have only been really worldwide, relatively recently. That's true. That's true. And, and the truth is, this is very really, confusing all this. And um, I, I see, I've seen sources from uh, 13th century, 14th century Germany where rabbinic sources, where they get very mixed up because of these different... Yeah. Uh, just to clarify, so the difference between the era of Adam and of creation is one year, that a year passes between creation and Adam? Okay. Um, I don't, I, that's kind of interesting because in, in uh, Biduni's book on mineralogy, he has this very unusual line um, where he said he suggests that man has developed from a, developed from a dog, a bear, a monkey, and finally a man. Um, which is I'm not trying to equate it with Darwinian evolution, but would that mean that he believes that this occurred in the span of a year? Or I just wonder. Yeah, no, I mean the, the, this year yeah. of creation is a fictitious year. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, I mean, everyone. So agrees. it's not a, No, the okay. year was created with Adam, and, and it was created in six days. Okay. So why is the era of creation start one year earlier? It's a fictitious year. It's like a. It's like a, a minus year. It's, it's a year of where there was no world. But it's another whole problem which I can't really go into now. It's, yeah. it's complicated. But the, the medieval um, computers, the experts in the Jewish calendar, have had a lot of trouble. Uh, explaining why do we start before the world was created? And they don't have a good answer. Sasha, the yeah. luminaries, at least according to traditions, were created on the Wednesday, so two days. The luminaries. The day four. Yes, day the four, fourth the day of creation. So you, I mean, there is some so that reason. That was two days before. Yeah. And then yes, by the so time, so that was a that was a conjunction. 
Yes, but if you, but then there's the whole interpretation of considering even you know uh, few yeah. days count as a well, basically when, when it says a year, it doesn't mean a 365 days. It just means a couple of days. Yeah. Okay. No, but that's so what, what, you're, what, what you're presenting now is the medieval, the yes, medieval yeah. uh, rationalization of the yeah. system, the medieval attempt to try and make sense exactly. of it. Yes. When in fact it doesn't really make sense at all. And um, uh, I think it's I think it's because of the theoretical nature of, of, of all this. It's not really meant. It wasn't really constructed as a historical sort of narrative, but it's it's a scheme really. Uh, I've spoken about this on other occasions, <coughs> and uh, it would be too complicated at this point to go into it. But uh, it's just certainly something which puzzles that the later the you know uh, the, the right theory about the, you know, the Jewish calendar. They're certainly puzzled by this. Sort of pre-creation era to come up with some of the artificial information. Yeah, that was a wonderful talk. I